نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئة اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله ذلك الفيض بالامس الله We praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness, and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead Him astray, and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide Him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone, and that He has no partners or associates, and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. This evening, Allah Ta'ala, we would like to begin the study of a very important book of Islamic creeds or Islamic aqidah. And that book is written in a fashion or in a form that is different from the majority of the books that are written concerning this topic. And we will discuss the format of the book that it is in question and answer form and the topics that it covers as we go along. That book which we want to discuss, it is entitled Alam al-Sunnah al-Manshura li'atiqad al-Ta'ifa al-Najiya al-Mansura. And the title of this book requires some explanation for that reason in the introductory remarks we will discuss some of the terminology or the expressions that are used in this title so that we can understand fully what the author intends by this title. The essence of the meaning of this title, what he intends, is that in this book he intends to express or to explain and to clarify those distinguishing signs. Or perhaps we may say, as an example, it would be like the landmarks along the road, those signs or symbols or marks that would be indications that you are traveling on a certain path. And these are the landmarks or the signs or the symbols or the distinguishing uh, signs of the sunnah, the sunnah, the deen of Allah, the aqidah of Islam. And in this book is expressed the creed of what he calls al-ta'ifa al-najiya al-mansura yani the victorious sage group and we will discuss these terms in detail in our introductory comments before mentioning the uh, definitions of the words that are used in this title uh, we want to discuss just briefly the importance of this subject the subject of Islamic creed and we have taken some notes from the uh, Risala of one of the scholars, contemporary scholars of our time, Sheikh Abdurrazak Ibn Abdul Muslim al Abbas. Sheikh Abdurrazak, Allah Yahfadahu, he is the son of the great scholar of Medina, Abdul Muslim al Abbas, and he has written a book concerning the efforts of the great scholar of Sunnah, Sheikh Abdurrahman al Sa'di and his efforts to clarify the Aqidah. In that book he has discussed some matters related to the importance of Aqidah which we have translated to try to bring out and show why there is a need for the study of Aqidah. Why? It is not something that someone might study on one occasion and then leave it for other matters but it is something that is required to be studied and to be learned again and again and again until a person leaves this world. And the Shaykh, Allah said, whoever reflects upon the text of the noble Qur'an will find that it makes clear and repeats again and again the matter of Al-Aqidah. The Qur'an clarifies the Aqidah and it repeats it over and over again. It doesn't talk about it on one or two occasions, but it repeats it again and again and again. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is the best knower, if He has used this 
Repetition of the Aqeedah in the Qur'an is because the people are in need of it. The Qur'an accepts, invites, and calls to Al-Aqeedah and Islamism, the Islamic creed, and warns against what opposes it. It calls to the correct Aqeedah and it also warns against the false Aqeedah. This is found in many verses of the Qur'an, using various ways and different manners of explanation. In one place it makes clear that this creed, the Islamic belief system, is the greatest goal sought by the believer. It is the most important objective of our life to understand and to learn and to implement the Aqeedah. And it is the very reason for the existence of the creation. The human beings and other creatures have been created for the purpose of worshipping Allah alone. And that is the subject of Aqeedah. In another place, the Qur'an clarifies the fact that the divine scriptures all of the scriptures that were revealed to the prophets were revealed and the messengers who were sent were sent a mission to fulfill or realize this aqidah. They have been sent for this purpose and the books have been revealed for this purpose. In yet another place it explains the severe threat of punishment for whoever opposes the correct aqidah and follows that which contradicts it. Whoever opposes the correct aqidah and follows the false aqidah, also the Qur'an warns against this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, وَمَا خَلَقْتُمْ جِنَّ وَالْإِنْسِ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That I have not created men and jinn except to worship me. And in another place Allah said in the Qur'an, لَقَدْ بَأَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا أَنِعْبُدُ اللَّهِ وَاجْتَنِبُ التَّعْبُودِ That indeed we have sent to amongst every ummah, amongst every nation or every community, a messenger proclaiming worship Allah and avoid the ta'ud. And in the message of every prophet and messenger that was sent, this is the essence of it, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent them to order the people to worship Allah alone, and to avoid the worship of every false god, everything other than Allah. This is the essence of the message of the messengers, and this is the message of the Qur'an from beginning to end. Then he said, such verses as these are many in the Qur'an. Indeed, the whole of the Qur'an, from the beginning to the end, contains the confirmation of this creed, this aqidah, al-aqidah al-Islamiyah. The Qur'an, he says, it is either information about Allah, the mighty and the majestic, that which he should be described with, and that which he must not be described with. And this is al-tawheed al-ilmi al-khabari al-asiqadi. Perhaps this is an expression that is new to some of us, the meaning of it, it is the Tawheed related to the knowledge and the information that creed is based upon. And this is what is often referred to as the Tawheed al-Rububiyyah, the Tawheed of Lordship, and Tawheed al-Asma wa-Sifat, the names and characteristics of Allah. Yani this Tawheed, it deals with the information and the knowledge that a person needs to know about Allah, that He is the Creator and the Lord, the one who gives life and death, and what he should be described with and what he should not be described with, this is what it deals with, the information that one is required to know about the Tawheed of Allah. Otherwise, the Qur'an, it is calling to the worship of Allah, calling one to worship Allah alone without any partners, and leaving whatever is worshipped besides him. And this is a Tawheed al-Talabi al-Iradi, the Tawheed related to what is required of the people, that is the worship of Allah, and this is what is often referred to as a Tawheed al-Ubudiyya. And the meaning here, what the Shaykh is saying is that the Qur'an calls to these aspects of a Tawheed. He divides the Tawheed here into two categories, and normally we have heard the division of Tawheed into three categories. The Tawheed related to Rububiyyah, the Lordship of Allah, and the Tawheed related to Asma wa Sifat, his names and characteristics, and the Tawheed of Ubudiyyah or Uluhiyyah, the Tawheed of Worship. So here the Shaykh has used a different classification, including the Tawheed of Rububiyyah and Tawheed of Asma wa Sifat, under the general title of Tawheed al-Ilmi al-Khabri al-Asiqadi, what we are required to know and what we are required to believe concerning Allah's Lordship and concerning the qualities and divine characteristics of Allah. The other category of Tawheed, he has called it Tawheed of Talabi al-Iradi, it means the Tawheed related to the Talab, what one requests, what one is seeking, and what one desires, al-Irada, what do you want, what are you desiring by your worship? What is it that you are seeking by your worship of Allah? What are you desiring? It is to earn the reward of Allah. This is the Tawheed of Ubudiyah, that we worship Allah alone in order to earn His reward. Then the Shaykh, Allah, he said, 
going on with what the Qur'an did is he said otherwise it is commands and prohibitions and the requirement of obedience to Allah. And this is, all of this is part of the rights and the obligations of Tawheed and that which completes and perfects it. Yani the commands of Allah and the prohibitions of Allah and the requirements to obey Allah, all of this is part of the rights of Tawheed over the human being if you believe in Allah and it is that which perfects and completes the Tawheed, obeying Allah and avoiding His prohibitions. The Qur'an also deals with information about the honor which Allah will bestow upon the people of Tawheed. The help and aid that He gives to the people of Tawheed in this world. And what He will honor them with in the hereafter. And this is the reward of establishing His Tawheed. Allah honors those people who establish His Tawheed, who worship Him alone in this world and in the next life. Likewise, the Qur'an deals with information about the people of Shirk, how Allah dealt with them in this world making an example of them and what he will do to them in the end in terms of punishment. And this is the recompense or the reward for whoever goes outside the bounds of what is legislated concerning his Tawheed. So it deals with the reward of those who obey and establish the Tawheed and it also deals with the punishment of those who contradict or nullify that Tawheed. Consequently, he ends this section saying, Consequently, the whole of the Qur'an is dealing with Tawheed. Its requirements and its re- and reward. The matter of shirk, the opposite of Tawheed. Its people and their reward. And this, as we said, is quoted from the book, uh, Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Sa'di and his efforts concerning the clarification of Aqidah by Shaykh Abdurrahman, Abdurrahman ibn Abdul Muslim al-Abad. Uh, ending this section of the importance of Tawheed, after we see the importance of Tawheed as it is explained through the Qur'an, how the Qur'an emphasizes and repeats and clarifies the Tawheed and the opposite of Tawheed and the people of Tawheed and those who contradict the Tawheed, there are just a few more points that should be mentioned in brief at least to clarify the importance of this subject of a Tawheed and to show that it is the most important of what a Muslim needs to know and needs to study. The Prophet ﷺ focused upon it to the exclusion of other matters for 13 years before the Hijrah or the migration from Mecca to Medina. The whole of his teaching and his emphasis of the Muslims in Mecca before the Hijrah it was dealing with Tawheed, dealing with the Aqidah. Al-Aqidah or Creed is considered as Al-Usul, the fundamentals or the foundation of the being. While Al-Fiqh, the jurisprudence or legal matters is considered as Al-Furu, the branches or secondary matters. And this shows that the scholars of Islam have given the emphasis to the Aqidah saying it is the usul, the foundation, everything else is built on it. And the Islamic laws, the jurisprudence and fiqh, it is the furu, the branches that are secondary. But what is the most important? It is the usul, the foundation that is the creed, the Islamic Aqidah, the belief system. And finally, an example of this is the case of the great scholar of Islam, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Rahimahullah. He was a scholar of fiqh, known for his knowledge in jurisprudence. And he entitled his small essay dealing with Al-Aqidah. He entitled it Al-Fiqh Al-Akbar, the greatest fiqh. And even though he was known for teaching and for his knowledge of fiqh, that is the secondary matters, the jurisprudence, but when he wrote a book about Al-Aqidah, he called it Al-Fiqh Al-Akbar. That it is the greatest fiqh. It's greater than the fiqh of Islamic laws and rules and judgments that are found in the Islamic jurisprudence. So these are just a few of the things that make clear to us the importance of the study of Al-Aqidah and that and why a person should emphasize it and give their attention to it above and beyond every other study. Here we want to look at some of the terminology that are found in the title of the book Alam al-Sunnah al-Manshura li'atiqad al-Ta'ifa al-Najiyah al-Mansura In this title the author has used a number of expressions one of them is al-Sunnah Alam al-Sunnah The Alam al-Sunnah it means the distinguishing marks or the distinguishing signs or the flags or the banners or the uh, the signs on the road that one can follow to make sure they stay on the path. And these signs are the signs of the Sunnah. The scholars of Islam have given different definitions to Sunnah and they have applied it to with various different meanings. And perhaps what the author means here by Sunnah 
he means the way of the Prophet وسلم, he means that which is not innovation. Alam is sunnah, meaning the opposite of bid'ah. These are the signs that show the way of the correct way. And perhaps what is the most obvious meaning that he may be applying here is the meaning of a sunnah, that it means al-aqidah. So we have given some explanation here of the various meanings that the scholars have given for the word sunnah. And as I said, perhaps the most obvious meaning is the meaning of al-aqidah, or uh, the basic linguistic meaning of sunnah means the tariqah, or the way. And it is of the signs along the tariq, along the way, of the one who follows the way of the people of Sunnah. The original meaning of Sunnah is the tariqah, the way, and asira, the light. These are linguistic meanings for Sunnah. However, if it is applied in the shara, in the divine legislation, in the sharia, then what is intended by it is that which the Prophet has amarabihi, what he has commanded us with. Or anhu, or prohibited us from, or nadaba ilayhi, that which he has encouraged us to do, whether by power, speech, or fail action. Yani whatever the Prophet has ordered us with, or prohibited us from, or encouraged us to do, whether it was by his speech or by his action, all of this is what is considered as sunnah. However, uh, Al Imam Ibn Al Athir, in his definition here of Sunnah, he said it should not be including that which is from the pronounced text, that is the actual verses of Al Kitab Al Aziz, the Quran. Yani the Sunnah, the meaning of Sunnah here, it means that which is not, the, not from the Quran itself, not the actual verses of the Quran. If the Prophet recites to us something from the Quran, then this is not considered as what we mean by Sunnah, but we mean that which is outside of the Quran. For this reason it is said concerning the evidences of the divine legislation, Al-Kitab was Sunnah, meaning Al-Quran and Al-Hadith. Al-Kitab was Sunnah, yani the evidences that we draw upon are from Al-Kitab, the Quran, and from the Sunnah, the Hadith. So Hadith here means those things which are outside of the clear text or pronouncements of the Quran. This is taken from the famous book of uh, definitions of strange words in hadith and al-nihayat al-gharib al-hadith al-athar by the great scholar of the people of Sunnah al-Imam ibn Athir. From this, from this definition we can derive three meanings for the word Sunnah. Yani from the definition of ibn Athir we can see that he has mentioned here three different meanings for the word of Sunnah. The first of them is al-tariqah, al-sirah, meaning the way or the life of the Prophet. And this is the linguistic meaning of Sunnah, the way of the Prophet, or the life of the Prophet. The second meaning is the sayings and actions, and, and should, we should include in that the approvals of the Prophet. This is also an, a definition of the Sunnah, whatever the Prophet has said, or what he has done, or what he has approved of in the actions of the people, this is also a meaning of Sunnah. And thirdly, the commands, the prohibitions, etc., which are not Quranic verses. And yani that which is not the direct quotations from the Quran. The scholars of Islam have also used the word sunnah for other meanings. And from amongst them is the sunnah as the opposite of wajib or fard. That is, the sunnah is that which is not obligatory. And this is the meaning that is used by the scholars of jurisprudence. The sunnah meaning that which is not wajib, that which is not fard, it is not obligatory, it is not mandatory. They, the scholars of jurisprudence, they use the word sunnah for this meaning. And they mean it is sunnah, meaning it is not obligatory. Another meaning of sunnah is the opposite of bid'ah, innovation. That is, that which is founded in the divine legislation. Yani bid'ah is that which has been invented. And so some of the scholars, it is commonly, and the word sunnah is commonly used to mean that which has its basis in the Qur'an, in the legislation, in the revelation. That is, it is not something invented uh, or newly established. The sunnah is the opposite of bid'ah. Sunnah is defined by the scholars of hadith, they have defined it with a comprehensive definition. Whatever has been reported from or about the Prophet including his speech, actions, and approvals of what was done in his presence, or what he came to know about it, or that which he came to know about. In addition to his physical characteristics, 
his moral character and his life history before and after the prophethood. Yani the scholars of hadith, they included the earlier definition, the sayings and actions and approvals of the Prophet They included with it a further, yani added definition and that is the sifat of the Prophet. Sifat, sifatuhu al-khuruqiyya wal-khalqiyya. That means that his characteristics, his physical characteristics are part of the sunnah. When somebody described the physical characteristics of the Prophet ﷺ, they said this is also from the sunnah. And his sifat khuruqiyya, yani his moral character, they said this is also from the sunnah. And they said likewise his life before and after the prophethood, before and after he was missioned. And this definition, some of the scholars said, it is similar to the definition of al-hadith. And the hadith includes whatever the Prophet has said and done. It also includes his physical descriptions, his, the, the explanation of his moral character in his life before and after the prophethood. The last definition for sunnah, sunnah also refers to the creed or aqidah as in the titles of many books of Islamic creed such as Usul Sunnah, the foundations of the Sunnah, the meaning of Sunnah here, Usul As-Sunnah, it means the foundations of the Aqidah, the foundations of the Islamic Creed. This book is about Islamic Creed. So what he means by Usul Sunnah, he means the foundations of the Aqidah. And likewise, the book of Al-Imam Al-Barbahari, Sharh As-Sunnah, he means by Sunnah here, the explanation of Sunnah, he means the explanation of the Aqidah. That book is dealing with Islamic Aqidah. So what they mean, many of the earlier scholars, they use the word sunnah to refer to the Islamic aqidah. So these are some of the meanings of sunnah. And in our title, the most obvious meaning of sunnah means the aqidah because this book is about aqidah. And the other obvious meaning is the linguistic meaning of sunnah. Alam of sunnah and manshura, it means the distinguishing signs or symbols or marks that are on the tariq, on the road, the road that we travel, and those who believe in this creed that has been founded in the Qur'an and Sunnah. Also from the title of the book, the author has used the expression Aqidah, And perhaps most of us have heard the expression Aqidah, and therefore there is some need to clarify so that there is no confusion between these two words, Al-Aqidah and Al-Aqidah. As for Al-Aqidah, the Shaykh the noble Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Usaymin rahimahullah he has said concerning this word in his explanation of al-Aqidah al-Wasatiyah he said Aqidah the word Aqidah it is on the Arabic linguistic pattern of Ifti'ad Aqidah it is from the resin in Arabic the pattern in Arabic of Ifti'ad from the word Aqad which means Arrab tying or binding and Ashad tightening it means it means linguistically, it means to tie something or to bind it and to tighten it. Technically, it is, as Shaykh al-Ufaymin, Allah said, it is hukmu al-zihmi al-jazimu, that which the mind has determined with certainty. If someone says, اَتَقَدْتُ كَذَا, he means, I am certain about it in my heart. I am certain about this thing in my heart. There is no doubt about it. That is the meaning of Aqidah, something that has been determined with certainty. So whoever is certain about something in his heart and in his mind, this is the Aqidah. If that matter which one's mind and heart is certain about is in accord with reality, the Shaykh says, then it is Sahih. It is Aqidah Sahih or Aqidah Sahih. While if it contradicts reality, then it is fasid, it is false. Hence, our belief that Allah is ilahun wahidun, the one God that deserves to be worshipped, this is the sahih, correct aqidah. While the belief of the Christians that Allah is three, the Trinity is bottled, false, since it contradicts the reality. So the aqidah, or the aqidah, it can be something that is correct, and it can be something that is false. And the point is, aqidah, it means something that a person is sure about, they are certain about. They may be certain, but it still could be false. So we find some of the people, they have false beliefs. And they are sure that it is true. So that is the aqidah. It is that which their mind and their heart is certain about. However, if it contradicts reality, then it is false aqidah. 
So the aqidah can be correct aqidah and it can be false aqidah. And what we are discussing in our book, it is the correct aqidah of the Ahl al-Sunnah wa Jama'ah. The way in which this meaning, Shaykh Rufaymin said, the way in which this meaning is connected to the linguistic meaning is obvious. Since that matter about which he has made a determination in his heart is as though he has tied his heart to it and tightened his heart to it in such a way that he cannot free himself from it. And it is a belief that a person has tied their heart to and tightened it so that they cannot escape from it. This is the aqidah, the ethical, that the person's heart is tied to something. Why? Because they are sure and they are certain about it and they have no doubt about it. This is similar to the definition of aqidah, which linguistically it means to knock or to bind or to fasten tightly, to fortify, to consolidate or to cement. And technically it means a firm, unwavering belief or conviction which is not open to any doubt in the mind and heart of the one who holds this conviction. From this you can see that in fact the word etiqad and the word aqidah, they have the same meaning. They are from the same root and the meaning of the two of them, it is the same. Therefore the Islamic etiqad or aqidah or creed refers to that which the heart and mind is certain about. That is, iman in the following. That is, iman in Allah the Most High and what is due to him of the tawheed in one's belief, worship and obedience to him. Having iman or certainty about the belief in the angels and the scriptures and the messengers in the last day and the divine decree. The qadr al-qadha, accepting its good and its evil. Additionally, one must believe in whatever is confirmed from the remaining matters of the unseen and reports concerning the previous nations and future events. And in the Ethiqad of Islam, it is primarily the Arkan al-Iman al-Sitta, the six fundamental beliefs. The belief in Allah and the angels and the books and the scriptures and the judgment day and the divine decree. And for this reason, one of the great scholars of the Sunnah, Ibn Abdul Izz, in his explanation of the famous book Al-Aqidah Fahawiyah, he said the best explanation of the Islamic Aqidah it is based on the hadith of Jibreel. The famous hadith of Jibreel. When he came to the Prophet and he asked what is Islam, what is Iman, and what is Ihsan. In these three things, the whole of the deen of Allah is explained. And for this reason, we will see as we study this book, that this great scholar, Al-Imam Al-Hakimi, what he has done, he has based his book on this idea. He has explained what is Islam, and what is Iman, and what is Ihsan, and he has gone into, of course, great detail, and the most important of those things, that is, the Shahada of La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, and the Iman in Allah, having Iman in Allah from the Arkan of Iman. However, he has explained the rest of these things also, some of them in more detail or in less. So the Atiqad that we are talking about, it is that which we are certain and sure about our beliefs, fundamentally the six pillars of faith, the belief in Allah and the angels and so on, and that which branches out from them. This is our Atiqad, and this is the Atiqad of Al-Qa'ifa, Al-Najiyah, and Mansura. As for these two expressions, Al-Qa'ifa, Al-Najiyah, Al-Mansura, Al-Najiyah, it is commonly used with another word that is Al-Furqa, Al-Najiyah. That is how the scholars of Sunnah have mentioned it, Al-Furqa, Al-Najiyah, However, it is well known, as some of our scholars have made clear, and from amongst them is Shaykh Rufaymin, that al-ta'ifa and al-furqa, the meaning of these two words in Arabic is the same. So the Shaykh, he has used this expression, al-ta'ifa and najiyah al-mansura, and there is no contradiction, Shaykh Rufaymin, he has used it in a similar way, he said al-furqa and najiyah al-mansura, and here the author he has used, instead of al-furqa, al-ta'ifa, and these two words are the same. As for this expression, the first of them, Al-Furqa and Najiyah, the sage said, Who are these people? And what is their description? Al-Furqa and Najiyah. The Shaykh, the noble Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Taymin, rahimahullah, said, Al-Furqa and Najiyah is the sect or the group which adheres to that which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was upon. The people who adhere to that which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was following in Al-Aqidah, in creed and beliefs, and Al-Ibadah, in worship, and Al-Akhlaq, character, and Al-Mu'amalah, business and social dealings with others. And in following the way of the Prophet, it is not just the way he dressed, it is not just the way he prayed, but it is also what he believed. Following the way of the Prophet in Al-Aqidah, 
as well as in ibadah and worship, as well as in our character, akhlaq. And don't forget about the muamala, how we deal with the people. Some people emphasize the ibadah and they forget about the aqidah. And some people emphasize akhlaq, they have good character, but they don't remember the aqidah. And therefore, what the Shaykh has said here is that the firqa and nadiyah, the saved sect, the people will be saved. They are those who follow the Prophet in all of these areas, in their beliefs, in their worship, in their character, and in their dealings with other people. Then he said, Rahimahullah, shortcomings in these matters does not necessarily exclude someone from being of the same set. If somebody has some defect or some shortcoming or some error in their aqidah or in their ibadah or in their character, we don't say that we throw this person away. All of the human beings have faults and errors. The Shaykh said, shortcomings in these matters does not necessarily exclude someone from being of the faith set. However, everyone will reach the degree which is based upon his works. Everyone will get the level in front of Allah according to what he does. Note that shortcomings, defects in the sphere or in the area of a tawheed could perhaps exclude someone from being of al-firqa al-nadi or the faith set. For example, defects in one's ikhlas in doing something for the sake of Allah alone could take someone outside of the realm of the safe set. Yani if a person is doing ibadah, but they are not doing it with ikhlas, they are not doing it for Allah alone, but they are doing it to be seen by others, then this spoils the worship. And such a thing could take someone outside of the sphere or the realm of being from amongst al-firqa and nadia. Similar is the case of the one who falls into bid'ah, innovation. If the person engages in an innovation, Bid'ah mukaffira, yani a type of innovation which entails disbelief. It is innovation that entails kufr, not like bid'ah mufassika, yani something that is sinful, a bid'ah that is sinful, that doesn't take a person out of Islam. But bid'ah mukaffira, that type of innovation that entails kufr, then this also might exclude a person from being from amongst the safe sect. In fact, it will take a person out of the circle of Islam. The mention of Al-Furqa al-Nadiyah came with its description in the hadith which is authenticated from the Prophet وسلم, that the Jews divided into 71 sects. Yani, افترقت اليهود إلى إحدى وسبعين فرقة And the Christians divided into 72 sects. افترقت النصارى إلى ثنتين وسبعين فرقة then the Prophet said, after these divisions of the earlier nations, he said, and the Ummah, the nation of Muhammad وسلم, and that is Ummah al-Ijabah, will be divided into 73 sects. And all of them, he said, كلهم, or كلها في النار, all of them would be in the fire, إلا واحدة. Yani the Ummah of Muhammad وسلم, would be divided like the previous nations, divided into 73 sects, كلها في النار, all of them would be in the fire except one. And that is what we are talking about, the Furqa Najiyah, the sage set. He said all of them would be in the fire except one. When he was asked who they were, he said, they are those who are upon that which I and my companions are upon today. That which I am doing, that which I am following in aqidah, in belief, in worship, in character, in dealings, Whoever is upon that which I and my companions are upon today, the Islam as it was in the time of the Prophet, they are the ones who would be the sage group. In another narration he said, the sage group is al-jama'ah, and those who unite together upon the truth and do not divide themselves over it. And this hadith has been reported in all the books of Sunan, Abu Dawood, Al-Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah, the Sahih Ibn Hibban, the Mustadrak of Al-Hakam, the Muslim of Ahmed and others, and it is authentic and the research concerning it is found in the book of Shaykh al-Albani rahimahullah, Sulsala al-Hadith al-Sahiyah. Shaykh al-Sayneen rahimahullah said the words, كلها فالنار إلا واحدة, that all of them would be in the fire except one sect, these words do not necessitate that they remain in the fire eternally, al-khulud, that they would be in the fire forever. Rather the meaning is that their actions are such that justify them being admitted into the fire, al-dukhul. This is a very important point. Doesn't mean that all of the Muslims who deviated except this one group, that all of them would remain in the hellfire forever. The Shaykh said, it doesn't mean that they would remain in the fire eternally. But what it means is that their actions justify them being punished in the fire. 
And even here the word that the Shaykh used, he said that the actions justify, يستحقوا It means that they deserve to be punished. But Allah may forgive them if He wills. It doesn't mean that all of these people will be in the fire. It means that their actions and their deviation justifies that they should be punished in the fire and that would not be eternally. It would be for some time or if Allah wills, He may forgive whomever He wills anything that is left in the one who dies in shirk. The words, they, they are those who are upon that which I and my companions are upon today. These words of the Prophet ﷺ indicate that they are holding fast to the pure Islam, which is absolutely free from any blemish or foreign influence. And again, these words are quoted from two sources, the Majmu'a Fatah al-Aqidah of Shaykh Al-Faymin and his explanation of al-Aqidah al-Waqitiyah. Yani, perhaps these two words explain to us what is al-Furqa al-Najiyah, the sage sect. They are the people who followed the correct way of the Prophet, the pure Islam, and for that reason, they would be saved from being punished in the hellfire. As for the other expression that the Shaykh has used here, Mansura, Al-Ta'ifa Al-Mansura, the victorious group, again we have quoted from Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymin from the same sources, Majnur Fatah Al-Aqidah, and his explanation of Al-Aqidah was Fatiyah, in which he, Rahimahullah, said, Al-Ta'ifa Al-Mansura, they are Ahlul Sunnah Al-Jama'ah, those who adhere to the Prophet's way and unite upon the truth. Ahlul Sunnah, the people who follow the Sunnah, the way of the Prophet, and Al-Jama'at means those who are united as a group upon the truth. They are those about whom the Prophet said, لا تزال طائفة من أمتي على الحق منصورة يعني that a group from amongst my Ummah will remain upon the truth. Victorious, Mansura. They will remain victorious, Mansura, upon the truth by the support of Allah. They will not be harmed. لا من خذلهم ولا من خالفهم حتى يأتي أمر الله. They will not be harmed. This group of people, the victorious people who Allah will support, they will not be harmed by those who abandon them, nor by those who oppose them, until the command of Allah comes. The command of Allah, until the command of Allah comes. In another narration it is clear, he said, until the hour of judgment comes. Those, they would remain a group from this ummah on the truth, and they would be victorious, they would be supported by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until just before the judgment day. The meaning of the words, until the, the hour of judgment comes, the Shaykh al-Uthaymin rahimahullah said, the meaning of these words, until the hour of judgment comes, is until the actual judgment is near until the nearness of the hour of judgment. Not until the actual judgment comes, but until it is near. The only reason why we have explained it in this way, the Shaykh says, is in order to reconcile between this hadith and the hadith verily from the most evil of humanity, min shirar al-nas, from the most evil of humanity, are those who the judgment would come upon them while they are still living, while they are alive. Yani the people who would be remaining when the actual judgment comes, when, the, when Allah calls for the judgment, the people who would be remaining on the earth would be the most evil of people. None of the good people would be remaining. And some of the, in some of the narrations we said, until it would only be said in the earth, Allah, Allah. And the scholar said that this means that Islam would be removed from the earth. There would be nothing remaining except the saying of the word of Allah, the name of Allah, Allah, Allah. But the people, the good people would be, would be removed. Therefore the Shaykh says, indeed, the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, the best of creation after the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, hence it is not possible for the hour of judgment to overtake them while they are still living. Therefore the meaning that they would remain victorious upon the truth until the day, until the judgment, it means until the nearness of the judgment. Because none of the righteous people, the correct people, would be remaining when the actual judgment takes place. And the words, and they are al-Sa'if al-Mansura, and these words are from Shaykh al-Islam ibn from his book al-Aqeelu wa and Shaykh al-Islam is explaining it, and we have quoted from that book because he has explained the meaning of Sa'if al-Mansura. He said these words mean that, they, it means that the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, they are the victorious group. The Ahl Sunnah al Jama'ah, they are the Ta'if al Mansur, the victorious group, which Allah the Mighty and the Majestic will support and give victory to. This is because they are included in His, the Most High, saying, Verily, we will indeed make victorious our messengers and those who believe. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised that He would give victory to His messengers. 
in this world's life and in the day when the witnesses will stand forth, that on the day of judgment. It means that Allah will give them victory in this life and He will also give them victory on the day of resurrection. Hence they are supported and victorious in this world as well as the fact that the final end will be for them that is in the next life. Also know the Shaykh says that the Nasr or the victory and perhaps some people might doubt the victory of the Ahl Sunnah Jama'ah, the correct people, the people of Sunnah, the Taif and Mansura and Turka and Najiyah. Some people might doubt that Allah will make victory for the Muslims if we look around the world today. However, the Shaykh says, know that the Nasr, the victory, is not the victory of an individual by himself. Rather, the real victory is that Allah the Most High supports the truth that you call to. The victory the Nasr, it is the Nasr or the victory and the support of the truth, not the support of any individual. Though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might give victory on the battlefield to the Muslims, however what is meant here, the ultimate victory is the establishment of truth in the earth. And Allah has promised that this will happen, that He will cause His deen to overcome all of the other deens. Even though the pagan disbelievers may hear it. Indeed, the Prophet then he said, even if a person is afflicted with humiliation in this world, this does not negate the promised victory. Indeed, the Prophet was persecuted greatly. However, in the end, he was given victory over those who persecuted him. And he entered Mecca victorious, strengthened, and triumphant after going out in fear. And he left Mecca in fear, in weakness, but he came back victorious over those people who had persecuted him. Finally, the Shaykh says the words, a ta'if or a group from my ummah will remain upon the truth. لا تزال ta'if من ummati على الحق. He said, this group is not limited to a certain number, a certain place, or a certain time. And it is not a certain group of people in a particular place, or in a particular era in history. But it is different people in different places. Whoever is fitting this description, of those who adhere to the way of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he said, "It is possible that this group be supported in some matter of the deen in one place, while in another place another group from the people of truth would be supported. Hence, collectively through these two groups or through many groups, the deen will remain victorious and triumphant." This is the explanation of these two expressions: Atayka and Najia and Surah. And it is Al-Firqa and Najiyah, the people who will be saved from amongst the sects who will deviate from Islam. And the Taif and Mansura is those who will be supported in this world and made victorious by, by the establishment of the truth. Uh, finally, we want to mention something from the biography of the author. And I don't think that his biography has been published previously in English for that reason. We have made some effort to uh, include as much as possible of what could be mentioned concerning his biography so that the author would be known who he is and who we are taking this knowledge from. And the scholars of Sunnah said, Had al-ilm deen, that this knowledge is deen, so that a person should look to who he takes his deen from. Look to who you take your knowledge from, because this knowledge is your deen, so be careful who you take it from. Who is the author of our book? He is a Shaykh al-Allama, Hafiz ibn Ahmed ibn Ali, ibn Ahmed ibn Ali al-Hakami. One of the noble scholars from Saudi Arabia, from the southern province, in the city of Tihama. The name Al-Hakami indicates his relationship to Al-Hakam ibn Sa'ad. He was born on the 24th night of the blessed month of Ramadan, in the year 1342. Perhaps some of you will remember that in the year 1307, some years before this, there was a great scholar born also in Saudi Arabia, but in the province of Qasim, Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Sa'adi. You can see from the dates of these scholars that they lived in the same time, except that Sheikh Hafiz al-Hakami, he was much younger than Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Sa'adi, though he died one year later. Yani Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Sa'adi, if those of you who studied with us, Shajar al-Iman, you know that he died in the year 1376. And Al-Hafiz Hafiz al-Hakami he died in the year 1377, one year later. That means they, these two great scholars, they were living in the same time, except that Hafiz al-Hakami, he was very young. He lived a short time, he only, and he lived for 35 years. He died in the, in the height of his youth. 
So he was born in the year 1342, that is after the Hijrah of the Prophet, in the village of As-Salam, which is under the jurisdiction of the city of Al-Madaya, southeast of the city of Jazan. Then he moved with his father to the village of Al-Jadi, which is under the jurisdiction, jurisdiction of the city of Samika. As for his early upbringing, he was brought up uh, it should be a good and righteous upbringing in the shelter of his two parents. He was raised under, uh, upon the virtues of modesty, purity, and good character. Before he reached the age of puberty, he was grazing his parents' sheep, which was the most important wealth they possessed at that time in accordance with the customs of the society at that time. And you can see that this was the way of the NBI, the prophets, that they used to graze the animals. And he was brought up in this way as a young child. He was grazing the sheep and he was memorizing the Quran at the same time as a young child. His early studies, when he reached the age of seven, his father admitted him to a school for learning Al-Qur'an al-Kareem, where he received his primary education, along with his eldest brother Muhammad in the village of Al-Jabai. His intelligence, quick memory, and understanding were amazing. Afterwards, he continued learning to read the Qur'an, and after he left that school, for after a short time, he continued learning the Qur'an with his brother, until he completed the reading of the Qur'an, in accordance with the rules of pronunciation and intonation, followed by his completion of the memorization of the Qur'an at around the age of 12. This was followed by busying himself with the improvement of handwriting, reading books of fiqh, inheritance, hadith, tafsir, tawheed, uh, both by reading and by memorization. And he used to read, and as his sheikh said, that he used to memorize. His name, Hafiz, that was the name he was named as a child, Hafiz. And he said, indeed, he was a Hafiz. He used to memorize either in his mind whatever he read or he would record it. But he used to retain whatever he had studied. The arrival of his teacher, in the beginning of the year 1358, of the Hijrah, the Sheikh and reformer Abdullah ibn Muhammad ibn Hamid al-Qara'awi came to Tihama, the big city in the south, after hearing about the ignorance and innovation present there. As a result of this, Hafiz al-Hakami was able to benefit from the lectures of this great scholar. And he began first to visit him when his father allowed, and later he actually went and stayed with the Shaykh for a long time, until his death. After the death of his father and mother in the year 1360, Shaykh Hafiz devoted himself to studying and the acquisition of knowledge. He went to his Shaykh Abdullah ibn Muhammad ibn Hamid al-Qarawi, staying with him full time, reading to him and benefiting from him. While his father and mother was alive, he was busy taking care of them and he was not able to go to the Shaykh, but suddenly in the same year his father and mother died and that time he was free. He didn't have any other responsibility, so he went to the city where his Shaykh was at and he stayed with him full time all the time reading to him and benefiting from him. He continued for some time seeking knowledge from his noble sheikh, acquiring knowledge and collecting valuable and rare books, digesting them through reading and understanding. Not just reading them, but understanding well what he had read. Consequently, he excelled in his studies and the fruits of his efforts were manifest. He gave great attention to the books of the scholars of Sunnah and especially benefited from the writings of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah and his student ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah. Shaykh Hafiz al-Hakim had a deep understanding and was swift in memorization of whatever he read. His older classmates used to check with him concerning every matter which they did not understand. He was, as his Shaykh described him, in this region he had no equal in seeking knowledge, authoring books, teaching and administrative skills in such a short period of time. What he had accomplished in his short life they had not seen in the south of the Arabian Peninsula anyone like him. In light of his excellence, his sheikh gave him his daughter in marriage, and she gave birth to righteous children who were students of knowledge. One of his four sons today, Dr. Ahmed ibn Hafiz al-Hakami, is presently an assistant professor at the Islamic University of Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Saud in Riyadh. The others are Abdullah Muhammad and Abdurrahman. The beginning of his scholastic writings. And the Sheikh, at an early age, he began to write very, very important and beneficial books. When he reached the age of 19, he was requested by his Sheikh as a means of testing the extent to which he had benefited from his reading and research. And the Sheikh was testing him. So he requested from him to author a book on the subject of Tawheed Allah. 
consisting of the Aqidah of the Salaf al-Salih, the creed of the righteous predecessors, in the form of poetry, so as to make it easy, easy for the students to memorize it. Consequently, he authored his work of poetry entitled Sulam al-Wusul ila ilm al-Usul, which was completed in the year 1362, and this work of poetry was well received by his Shaykh as well as the scholars of his era. And his Shaykh asked him to write a book about Aqidah, the Tawheed of Allah, and to write it in the form of poetry, so that the students could easily learn it. And he wrote a book at the age of 19 that today is being studied around the world. It's a book of poetry dealing with the Tawheed of Allah and the following of the Prophet It's a beautiful book of poetry and it contains all of the important information concerning Al-Aqidah. This was followed by other works in Al-Fiqh, Usul Al-Fiqh, Tawheed, Al-Sirah Al-Nabawiyah, Mustalah Hadith, Al-Fara'id, Inheritance, and many other fields in the form of poetry and prose. And most of his books were written in poetry form. And he wrote books in Aqidah, in Fiqh, Usul Al-Fiqh, in Hadith, and most of the books he wrote, he wrote in the form of poetry. Some of the author's other works, and he has many books, and we have just listed some of them, a few of them. Uh, from amongst the most important of them are the books of Tawheed, Sulm al-Wusul ilm al-Usul. The second of them is the explanation of that book, Ma'arij al-Qubul bi the explanation of Sulm al-Wusul. And another important book is our book on the study, Alam al-Sunnah al-Mansura, Ayatikad al-Taif al-Najiya al-Mansura. There are also books in Mustal Hadith and Usul al-Fiqh and Fara'ir. For the sake of time, yani everyone can review the titles and the subjects. And these are only some of the books. He has many other books which were published and many which are yet to be published. As far as his career, in the year 1363, at the age of 21, Sheikh appointed him as the director of the Madrasa Salafiyya of Samifa, as well as the supervisor of all the schools in the surrounding villages. And his Sheikh had opened up many schools, hundreds of schools in that area when he came to the south, and he made him the director of the school in the biggest city in the area, and made him the supervisor of all the schools in the surrounding villages. This was at the age of 21. In the year 1373, at the age of 31, the Ministry of Education of Saudi Arabia opened a high school in Jazan and appointed Sheikh Hafiz as its first director. Later in the year 1374, an institute of religious knowledge, Mahad Elmi, under the jurisdiction of the General Administration of Colleges and Religious Institutes, was opened in the city of Samuta, and Sheikh Hafiz al-Hakami, rahimahullah, was appointed as its director, a task which he performed with excellence. As for his personality and character, Sheikh Hakami, rahimahullah, was an excellent example, was an example to be followed by every student of knowledge who wants to achieve and acquire beneficial knowledge. And he was a mujtahid, a real student. Likewise, he was an example for every unpretentious noble scholar, a humble person who was a scholar, who loved or desired every good and benefit for his students and associates. And he was an example for the students, and he was an example for the scholars. He, rahimahullah, possessed a great degree of al-wara, fear of Allah, al-karam, generosity, al-ifa, virtuousness, and modesty, and a taqwa piety. He was strong in faith, stern in adhering to the deen, ya rahimahullah, and open with the truth. He used to enjoy the good and do it himself, and forbid the evil and stay far removed from it. He had no concern about the criticism of those who criticize when it involved fulfilling the rights of Allah. His feelings were always filled with lecturing, al-mudakara, revealing that which had been learned, and acquiring knowledge. He was accompanied by his students at home, in the masjid, and at school. His speech was never boring, nor were his companions ever weary or tired. Most of his time was spent in reciting the Qur'an, or reading scholarly books, in addition to teaching, writing, and reviewing the acquired knowledge. He was cheerful and high-spirited. He was cheerful and high-spirited. He enjoyed sports, as well as playing and joking with his friends, students, and visitors. This being one of the causes of the hearts of the people being drawn to him and hence benefiting from him. And he was a real scholar, like on the pattern of the Prophet ﷺ, who benefited the people, and he also came down to the level of the people, so that people were comfortable with him. His death, Sheikh Hafiz al-Hakami remained the director of the Religious Institute in Samita until he performed the Hajj in the year 1377. After completing the rites of Hajj, he answered the call of his Lord on Saturday, the 18th of Dhul Hijjah, 1377, in the city of Mecca al-Mukarramah. 
This was immediately after a sickness which befell him while he was at the height of his youth, his age at that time being 35 years and nearly 3 months. His death, rahimahullah, had a severe effect upon the Shaykh, his family, his friends, students and those who loved him. Indeed, they had lost a man who was a model for other men, a noble scholar, the likes of which the area had never seen. Many of his students and friends eulogized him in words of beautiful poetry. He was buried in Mecca. May Allah the Most High have mercy upon him and benefit others through his knowledge and admit him into the spaciousness of his Jannah. And this is the end of what we wanted to cover today, the introduction to the book, the topic of Al-Aqidah, and those who this Aqidah is attributed to Al-Ta'ifa al-Mansura, Al-Furqa al-Najiyah, and the biography of the author so that we know who we are taking our knowledge from. Before closing, just quickly, there are some questions here that we have uh, placed just as a review of the topic of what we have discussed today. And after this, the remaining questions are the questions from the text of the book itself. And there is a space after every question for those who will be regular in attending to write the answers and for those who intend to take an examination so that they can prepare themselves. Otherwise, everybody is free and welcome to attend regularly or other than that. And the examination is not a requirement, but it is encouraged. So the questions for this lecture today, the first of them is discuss briefly the importance of the subject of Al-Aqidah. Then what shows the importance of Al-Aqidah is that the Qur'an concentrates on explaining and clarifying and the repetition of the matters related to Al-Aqidah and the warning against that which opposes the correct Aqidah. And likewise, uh, what shows the importance of Aqidah is that the, the concentration of the Prophet ﷺ for 13 years on this topic alone before uh, concentrating on the other secondary matters of the deen. The second question defined as Sunnah. We said that the word Sunnah has many meanings. From amongst those meanings are the sayings and actions and approvals of the Prophet ﷺ. And from amongst those meanings is the opposite of innovation or bid'ah, or the opposite of that which is obligatory, wajib or al-fard, or that which is, in, is not in the Qur'an, we say the Qur'an and the Sunnah meaning this is from the Qur'an or this is from the sayings of the Prophet ﷺ that are not, yani the actual words of the Qur'an. And the linguistic meaning of the Sunnah means the tariq or sirah, tariqa or sirah, the way of the Prophet or the life of the Prophet. And another meaning of the Sunnah is al-aqidah, and that is our topic under discussion. As for the word al-aqidah, define the word aqidah. The Shaykh Al-Uthaymeen, rahimahullah, he says, Aqiqad, it is on the pattern of ifti'al from al-aqad. Al-aqad, it means a rub or a shed. It means to tie something and to tighten it. This is the linguistic meaning. As for the technical meaning, he says, it means huqmu al-bi'ni al-jazm. Yani that which is determined in the mind with certainty. The thing that one is sure and certain about in one's mind, in one's heart, and that, uh, that thing that you, that you have determined or that you have believed in, it could be true or it could be false. Uh, as for the term the Surka and Najiyah, we said that the Surka and Najiyah means the safe sex and it is based on the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that the Jews divided into 71 sects and the Christians 72 and that his Ummah would be divided into 73, all of them would be in the fire except one which would be saved. And that is, he said, al-jama'ah, those who remain united upon the truth. On some of the hadith, he said, those who are upon that which I and my companions are upon. Mentioned are also the Ta'if al-Mansura. Uh, we said that the Ta'if al-Mansura, it is yani, the supportive or victorious group. And this is based upon the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that they would remain from amongst my ummah a group who would be upon the truth and they would be Mansura supported or victorious and no one would harm them, those who oppose them or those who abandon them, they would not cause any harm to them and they would remain victorious until the coming of the hour of judgment. Mention the author's name and the era in which he lived, his date of birth and death and his name is Hafiz ibn Ahmed ibn Ali al-Hakami 
and he was born in 1342. We'll stop here for the Adhan and complete the remaining questions after the Adhan, and then if there's any comments or questions, we'll take them. Inshallah. Allah Akbar, Allah Uh, he said that the Sheikh Fahimahullah was born in the year 1342, he died in the year 1377 at the age of 35. Uh, as far as his early upbringing and studies, he said that he had a good upbringing raised by both of his parents and given the virtues of modesty, purity and good character. Before the age of puberty, he was grazing the sheep of his parents, which was the wealth of the people in that time. At the age of seven, his father sent him to the Qur'an school to learn the Qur'an, which he continued afterwards with his brother until he completed it at about the age of twelve. He studied the various sciences of Islam, aqidah, hadith, fiqh, tafsir, and other things, until in the year 1358 at the age of 16 when his Shaykh, Shaykh Abdullah ibn Muhammad ibn Hamid al-Qara'awi came to Tihama and he began to learn from him uh, and take from him and he stayed with him until his death. Mention the name of the author Shaykh and his relationship to him. His Shaykh, he is Abdullah ibn Muhammad ibn Hamid al-Qara'awi and his relationship to him was that he was his student and he was his assistant and he was also his son-in-law. And when the sheikh came, he studied with him until his parents died and he stuck to him full-time and he assisted him in his work of da'wah and teaching the people and he married his daughter. Discuss the author's personality, character and death. As for his personality, he said that he was cheerful and high-spirited, that he was an example for the students of knowledge and the scholars alike. He was a person who was characterized as having al-wara, fear of Allah, and al-taqwa, piety, al-qarm, generosity, al-ifa, modesty. And as far as his death, he died on the 18th of Dhul-Hijjah in the year 1377 after being, uh, befalling him sickness after the performance of the Hajj. He died in Mecca and was buried there. Uh, rahimahullah. As for the books of the author, of the most important of his books, we said, are the books of Aqidah, Sunnah al-Wusul ila ilm al-Usul. As we said, it is a book of poetry, a very beautiful book of poetry, which deals with the Tawheed and following of the Ittiba' al-Rasul, following the Prophet. The explanation of that book, Ma'arij al-Kubur, and our book, Understudy, A'lam al-Sunnah al-Manshura. In addition to some of the other books which we didn't mention in the notes, Nail al-Sul, Min Tariq al-Umm, Wasirat al-Rasul, and dealing with the history of the nations and the biography of the Prophet and Subul al-Sawiyah, Lifiq al-Sunan al-Marwiyah, yani a book dealing with the fiqh of the Sunan al-Marwiyah, that which has been yani narrated from the Prophet This is the end of what we wanted to discuss this evening. 
Bismillah ta'ala, if there any questions or any comments or any corrections, perhaps we can take just a few moments, maybe five minutes. How much time for the Ikhama? Uh, we'll take five minutes, inshallah. If sisters have any questions, we'll take them first. Now. The word Ahl Sunnah al is used by the deviant people and they call others deviant. And in some places in the world, we have found, like for example in India, some of the people who have deviated from the Sunnah, they call themselves Ahl Sunnah al In any case, this expression, it was used by the Muslim scholars from a long time back. And the basis of this expression, it is correct, it is a proper name that Muslims can use. Ahl Sunnah, the people who adhere to the way of the Prophet and Jama'ah, it is in accordance with the command of Allah that we shouldn't separate, but that we should be united. So this is a good name, it has been used by the Muslim scholars uh, from the early time. And if there are people using it who are not from really following the Sunnah, then a person can uh, avoid that name so that you will not be associated with such. Wallahu alam. Is there any other question or comment? Naam? Ahiwa. Naam. There's a registration form and there's no registration course. There's a registration form for those who intend to attend regularly just so that we'll have some information and we'll keep a record of those who are attending. There is a certificate, inshallah, at the end of the course for those who attended regular, even if they didn't take the exam. And there is a certificate for those who take the exam. Now, Tayyid, inshallah, khair. Okay. Assalamu alaikum. Jazakumullah khair. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu alaykum.